I felt like I needed to make my own contribution. Mum and Dad obviously were really keen to do it too, but it was something that I I drove and made me realise that I could have my own valuable input to the business, I guess financially, because it's created quite a good income stream for us. This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. As a young person living on the land or wanting to live on the land, finding your place within the family business can be difficult and sometimes really uncomfortable. But for Meg Rutledge from Mobile Station, a thousand kilometres west of the eastern seaboard in far west Queensland, the idea to begin a luxury outback homestay experience with camping, nature walks and hiking was the perfect fit when she returned home from a few years after school in London. To me, it is such a great example of a generational farm evolving its core business to ensure that the next generation of family not only stay on the farm, but are invigorated to do so and bring to the business so much extra knowledge, diversity, and hopefully happiness. And for Meg, it makes perfect sense. Like so many people living on the land, she's proud of her farm and she loves living there. You really couldn't have a better hostess. From, I mean, all my life, Mobile's been a place where people have come to stay for school holidays. We've always had families coming through since I was tiny. Um, We've got a big family and we always have the friends of friends of friends who find their way here. So we've always, um, I think we've always loved looking after people and showing people Mobile. We're all very proud of where we live and we love living here. Um, But it wasn't until... I moved home after living overseas for a couple of years and some of that time was spent um, working at a bed and breakfast um, sort of like villa in the south of Spain where I sort of saw that we could do something like like they were doing but at Mobile where we were welcoming guests into our house and sharing a bit of our life with them. Um, We have you know, mum has a really beautiful garden and we have a big house. Lots of my sisters have moved, well, all my sisters have moved away. So we had the scope to do something and I was excited to bring my own um, element to the business and mum and dad were happy to try because they we all love having people around and we thought we would be able to do something that was different to what was already on offer in our area. So about five years ago we probably started talking about it and um, it was quite dry at that time so I felt like we had some bandwidth to do something different and explore something else while our stock numbers were quite low so we started in sort of 2018 and welcomed our first guests guests then and since then um, yeah it's gone really well it's exceeded all our expectations actually I think good on you for doing it. I think so many more people could do it, but they probably don't have the confidence to do so. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about what that B&B experience was like in the south of Spain? 
Sounds awesome. Very, yeah, it was awesome. It was very fun. So like it always is when you go overseas, you link up with friends of friends and, you know, people who have families, um, family overseas. You sort of seek them out when you first get over there trying to find your feet. So I headed down to Spain where I'd met, um, yeah, Jago a couple of years before and um, they are family-run business and um, they have a really beautiful house in the hills and they also have holiday cottages. And so I was just there for, you know, as a tourist, I guess, but um, I guess I was just working for my board and keep and I just really loved it. I loved the joy that people had when they, like it was a lot of Brits that would fly out there for summer holidays. So, um, and they were really great at, I mean, they're all chefs. They're wonderful cooks. They have their own farm. They they grow their own pigs for their own hamon. So that part of the their business I could see was such a valuable element to it. And I just saw that we could do something like that at home. But it was, yeah, I mean, I was cleaning pools, helping in the garden, washing up in the kitchen. Just loved it. It was really fun, as you can imagine. <laughs> a lot of beer and partying. And, yeah, it was great, though. Was it a luxury B&B? <laughs> I'd say, I mean, it's luxury. I mean, I don't know if it's actually, I mean, what the technical like criteria to be called that is, but I mean, yeah, it's pretty well regarded and they have some really fabulous, interesting clients that go there. So and yeah. do they actually fly into the property itself? Not in Spain. They fly into Seville and then they right. either drive or hire a car and they can be picked up. But um, it's quite remote where they are. You can't sort of, I mean, you could walk to town, but it would be a hike. So it's sort of all-inclusive and people sort of stay at the house and there's a beautiful big infinity pool and a pool house. It's a pretty cool spot. Oh, do they have an Instagram account? Yeah, it's called Finca Buonvino. I can send you the, um, send you the handle so you can yeah. follow them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like awesome. I, yeah, I go on there and look at them and look at their um, pictures. It's just idyllic. It's really beautiful. So, Meg, was this when the cogs first started to turn over for you that maybe you might be able to do something like this at your home? Just saw how you could, um, I guess, fit it in around. I saw how we could fit it in, our, in around our lives. We didn't have to be solely focused on that for it to be an element of our business so yeah definitely thought it was an opportunity and I love we love food and wine and we love you know bringing people around a table I love cooking um mums or like we've always been I guess dinner parties and stuff like that were a part of growing up we don't have lots of restaurants nearby the pub is 60k away all our childhood the way our parents socialized was dinner parties and tennis parties and we'd spend weekends at each other's houses so I could just see how um mum and dad were primed and ready they were trained up so I thought we could definitely use that yeah Okay, so lead me through the process of you sort of going back to be on the family farm. Was that something that you always knew you would do when you came back from your overseas adventure? No, absolutely not. I was a bit, um, I mean, I'd finished up my visa in the UK after two years there. And so then I had actually gone back to Spain to use, you know, my last 90 days of my um European visa um and then I pretty much flew straight home with just like a credit card debt thinking I would um you know work for a couple of months while I was looking for a job um it's always something to do mum and dad were actually building an exclusion fence so um they were keen for me to come home and help them with that but I wasn't planning on staying um and it probably took me 
18 months or so to really um, realise that I loved it here. And I love it was a big change at the start, flying from London basically back to Kilby. Um, and big change sort of going from being very independent to sort of being back, not under the same roof as mum and dad because we live in separate houses, but like, you know, you're very close to each other every day. So it took me a while to sort of, I guess, get on board with that but then um yeah I just love it now and I couldn't imagine living anywhere else I feel incredibly lucky and it was such an amazing opportunity for me to come back and be able to stay here that I mean yeah I thought I'd be mad to walk away from it. Can you explain in a little bit more detail what you offer in terms of your outback experiences? Yeah sure so we started out thinking that we'd be a and b and then and we did that for about six months but we realized people really wanted a more in-depth experience but um yeah so now we um we offer two three and four night experiences where it's all inclusive it's fully catered um and those experiences at the moment are sort of centered around uh, walking and hiking or four-wheel drive safaris so that we can show people we spend the day or two days with people um, in um, in the countryside like you know we go and have lunch on a beautiful creek um, we yeah mum takes people trekking if they want to trek or dad can take them on a bit of a safari drive and we all meet for lunch have a beautiful lunch underneath the trees on a waterhole um, and yeah so we try and focus on really great seasonal food stuff that showcases our area mum has a beautiful big vegetable garden and yeah really great wines giving people just a really immersive but really nice experience and show them part of Australia and part of our lives I suppose so we can take people camping which is also a mobile we provide all the swags and um, we sleep on shearer stretches under the stars so it's not a glamping experience we don't have we don't do the big tents because we like to see the stars at night and wake up with the breeze on our face what did it take to sort of set it up have you got extra you said you've got a you can take them on safari tours and stuff so does that mean you house extra vehicles there and you have all the camping gear um, yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about the behind the scenes of that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we went and bought 10 swags. Um, we've got a troopy, um, and we had a lot of gear here already, but we just sort of, like, we just took it up to the next level. So, um, you know, we've got some really beautiful director's chairs and we just, um, we try and make it, we try and do everything really beautifully. So um, we have a fair bit of stuff here already. We've always been campers and we go camping a lot. So we had lots of the, I guess, you know, the pots and pans, but now we have really beautiful Australian-made woolen knee blankets and beautiful chairs to go around the table and lovely linen. And we have silver cutlery and uh, we use all that down at the camp so that um, it's a really elevated experience to how we would have camps traditionally um and then in the like the homestead was pretty much ready to go had enough spare bedrooms we've just over the years just continually sort of improved it when we um you know when we sort of get to that job on the list we're like yep we'll do that one now because we we know that we can that'll be a better experience for our guests and also it's something that we can sort of justify doing now so it's great we can invest more in our buildings and in our house which I guess traditionally is something that might always be a low on the priority list in a primary production business. Yeah, don't you know it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So where do people come from? How how well patronaged is it? And have you been surprised? We've been really surprised at how lovely and fun all our guests have been. They all want to be here. I guess we're kind of off the beaten track. And I think, um, and because, so we're not, look, we don't have guests here every night. We probably take 12 to 15 um, bookings a year. And so we find that our guests, I mean, at the start, they're coming from all over Australia, but the last couple of years with the border's been shut, mm. has been Queensland-based. So it's been a little bit, lost a little bit of sort of knowledge about where they, because it's been, yeah, just Queenslanders. But now we're receiving inquiries from Adelaide and Melbourne, Sydney, lots of retirees who are doing driving holidays, but not necessarily the caravanners and the campers. Um, we're finding that mobile's become a bit more of a destination and people will book in with us and then plan um, the rest of their trip around this corner of Queensland around their stay with us. We've booked out for this year and we're sort of, I'd say three quarters booked out for next year, which is pretty wild. We've never we've never planned our lives so far in advance but um I mean that's why we're sort of not we're not looking to be occupied every night because we still run our um run our businesses here alongside this alongside this one we'll be back in just a moment but now a word from today's sponsor sg off-road understand it all They've been stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with little kids in tow. They've rushed around getting vehicles into servicing, forgotten the booked dates and understand the importance of having someone to help take care of the problem. SG Offroad are the little guys gone big. Founded in 2002, they put the humanity back into vehicles needs, mixing impeccable automotive care with an incredible empathy for who's behind the wheel and daily life. An ARB stockist with two stores in South Gippsland and a huge range of courtesy vehicles, they're available for their customers no matter what. Whether in their workshops, driveway, stuck in the paddock or even with electrical issues on the Tanami track. Whether it's leaning against the bull bar for a yarn or rocking a brightly coloured conversation starting shirt for mental health, there's rarely anything they say no to when it comes to vehicles and those that drive them. Beyond the wheel bearings and four-wheel drive setups, SG Offroad are more than just mechanics and accessories. They become a slice of people's lives and truly love what they do. SG Offroad, just get life. It sounds so fabulous. Are you? Um, do you ever get sick of it, entertaining people? Um, we're really careful that we don't overextend ourselves and that's why we really did move into creating experiences, multiple night experiences for people rather than going down the B&B track because a B&B, you really need to have people in every night to make it worthwhile and we were finding that um, we weren't getting as much done, you know, outside in the paddock. So it was easier for us to sort of book people in for, a, you know, a couple of days one week and then the next week we'd have, you know, as a week that we could muster or shift sheep or do whatever we had to do. So we find that we don't get sick of it um, because we are sort of spacing it out. Part It's so important to us that we, um, you know, my parents and I are excited and happy to welcome the next lot of guests. It's really, we spend, you know, all our time with them and we have all our meals with them. And I think them talking to mum and dad particularly about the history of mobile and the plants and the history of the area it's important that we're all um, excited to have those conversations and not feeling that they're becoming a bit monotonous so we try 
we're very careful to not overextend ourselves. And what kind of conversations do you have with your guests? Like, have you noticed a common interest and a line of inquiry that comes from them? Everyone's really interested in, you know, the, I guess, agricultural side. So the sheep and cattle producing, um, growing wool, um, interested in the seasons and what happens when it's dry. Everyone's really interested and it's really wonderful to talk to people who come from all different backgrounds rather than um, always talking to, you know, your neighbour or locals and we all sort of live in our own bubble. So it's great. They ask really interesting questions. Um, yeah, so we've just finished building an exclusion fence. So we are having lots of conversations about how that's impacting the environment in a positive way and, you know, control of um, like invasive weeds and all those sorts of things that we sort of gloss over because we think about them every day. When they ask a question from a totally new perspective, it makes you think about things, um, yeah, a bit differently. And it's really great because we're all proud of mobile and we all love living here. So just people asking you questions about it all day, it's, they're fun conversations to have, I suppose. I noticed also that you have a bird list. Who who loves who loves birds in your family? And that's obviously a winner with your visitors. Yeah, so we love the birders when they come to stay. They're really interesting sort of type of guests that we have. They um, just quietly walk around. They're really easy to, they entertain themselves because they just <laughs> love the birds and they don't need company because we probably are too noisy for them, especially when we have the barrage of Jack Russells that follow us around. But um, we had a birder, um, you know, like 10 years ago, there was someone that came out to stay before, long before we had a um, homestay business. And they were here for six weeks or something. So they created a bird list for us, which mum dug up when we started this business because um, it's people are really interested in birds. Um, we, I mean, I, learn, I don't know much about birds at all, but it's really lovely element to have. Someone wants to bring their binoculars and go for a walk along the creek in the morning. It's nice to be able to give them that resource. Um, yeah. Well, it does sound so idyllic, you know, like you'd almost take up birding just to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, birders are really fun and they're just, yeah, really, yeah, really lovely group of people. Oh, that's so interesting. So, Meg, was the creation of all this something that incentivised you staying on, on, on mobile? And is that, you know, did you kind of create your own destiny in that way? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that I felt like, I mean, Mum and Dad are so experienced. Dad's been here, obviously, you know, his entire life. Um, bringing my own, I couldn't bring my own edge um, straight away to the pastoral business because I just didn't have that experience. So I, I felt like I needed to make my own contribution. And I think that, um, I think that this was definitely something that Mum and Dad obviously were really keen to do it too. But it was something that I, I drove, and um, it definitely made me realise that I could have my own valuable input to the business, I guess, financially, because it's created quite a good income stream for us. Um, it also, I guess, breaks, not the monotony, but um, it is, an, it's, I find it really fun. So it's, um, yeah, it creates diff, like a bit of, um, oh, I can't think of the word. Yeah, just it just changes up our day-to-day -day and it gives us something different to talk about. So definitely um, when it was going really, when we knew it would be really a really great addition to our business, um, it was, it just gave me the confidence that I probably wouldn't um, 
yeah, I could probably hang around a bit longer and would be able to be successful here, I suppose. And what kind of a person are you, Meg? Like this sounds like it's a great sort of creative pursuit almost where you can, um, you know, tend to your cooking and be a host and make things look beautiful and also see um, additional layers of beauty in the property, no doubt. And so does that tap into to your interests? Yeah, I think I definitely would describe myself as a practical person. And my parents would probably say that I'm like very bossy and organised. But I guess, yeah, I love being able to, to, to do something for people that they will really enjoy. And I do love setting a really beautiful table and find, yeah, picking, getting some foliage off the trees. And I don't know, just I love being able to make things just a bit extra to what people would expect because I like being able to sort of surprise people with that um, but I would say first and foremost I'm very practical and um, yeah I think I mean my like previous work has always been in operations and logistics um, those sorts of roles so we've all been brought up to be very practical but we probably are quite creative my father's very creative but he would probably never never consider himself to be creative because we've been running the property and that's sort of always been our focus Mm -hmm. and so as a child did you have any do you have any vivid memories of what you wanted to become what you thought you would end up doing no we had a pretty idyllic childhood so um you know we had ponies and we'd ride every day we had we all were um schooled we did distance ed so we were schooled at home with a governess so we'd be on our motorbikes trying to escape going to school in the morning um, we went to boarding school then, um, but I don't think I've ever truly sort of felt at home when I've lived in there. And I think maybe just over time, I've you just keep following the things you love rather than ever knowing exactly where that will take you. That being at Mobile is very special. I'm probably quite sentimental. My cousin always says that I make decisions based on my heart rather than my calculator, but he's, mm-hmm. I think he makes all his decisions with the calculator and that's not always the best either. Yeah, I think I've always seen myself living, you know, living like I am now, I suppose, Or, but I didn't necessarily know that would be at mobile. I think that also would depend a little bit where your heart takes you and where if you, you know, fall in love with someone and they live across the seas or they live in the city, that would be something that you'd have to work out. So I guess I never really knew exactly where I'd live, but I probably thought it would be something, doing something in a rural area. Of course, your beautiful sort of outback experiences and B&B stuff doesn't take up all your time what else do you do tell me about kind of the day-to-day ag side of things at mobile so we are very proud merino wool growers so we have um our sheep numbers are still probably about 40 to 50 percent what we traditionally would run if there's such a thing anymore but um yeah so wool growers so is that um, because of the drought yeah it's because of the drought and we haven't um we just haven't straight away bought a heap of sheep back we're just letting the country recover waiting for a run of a few good seasons to yeah let the country recover a bit and breed our numbers back up rather than buying a whole heap of sheep so um, yeah, we sold a lot of sheep in 2017. And so, yeah, we're just sort of building back up from there. Um, Tell yeah, me more also- about that. So that was obviously in the depths of the drought. And what kind of 
percentage, I suppose, of your flock did you have to offload? Well, we were probably offloading offloading sheep every year as it continued to be dry. Um, Dad, you know, pulled mulga, which is pretty common in this area, um, very common in this area. So you can harvest your mulga for fodder. He'd um, pushed scrub all, you know, for about 10 years in the millennial drought when we were all at boarding school. And I think he thought that was something that we didn't want to do again as a business. So now rather than um, feeding stock, we just continue to sell down until we're at a manageable level um, and we can sort of hold onto whatever we can. So um, when I got home uh, in 2017, you know, we were only shearing maybe like 2,000 sheep um, and hardly getting any lambs. Um, so, you know, we're pretty stagnant at that really low number. Traditionally, we'd shear 12,000 sheep. So we were, yeah, it was a good time for us to find another income stream. But also um, it's we we're building an exclusion fence, which took up a fair bit of our time. And um, definitely that project was something that we knew, well, I knew when it finished I'd be needing something else to for me to be able to do that rather than just going out and, shoveling cotton seed um, to have something that's a bit more challenging that I could, you know, use my brain with. So mm. definitely when we finished the exclusion fence, I felt like I had bandwidth to put some energy in something else or a new, new venture. So that's how we sort of really started thinking more seriously about the homestay. But, um, yeah, it was dry. I was away. I was living overseas, but it was dry for, yeah, probably six or seven years and um, just continually... Yeah, just year after year. Mum and dad were here by themselves, but it would have been a challenging time for them. So what's the season like there now at the moment? I'd say um, it's good. I think it's really good, but dad, mum and dad say this is pretty standard. I think I'm just coming from a pretty low, um, a low level. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah, so um, it's, yeah, everything's happy. We should be right, you know, now until the end of winter um until I use them in you know August September so um it's yeah we have had we haven't had much winter rain but um and we can get rain any time of the year really and it'll grow something that's useful feed um definitely uh positive of the Kulpi region <laughs> um but we yeah so it's looking pretty good it's not we never have coverage like like you would down south or even up towards Longreach we grow a really big variety of feed um and we have a few different significantly different land types that will respond differently to rain at different times of the year so it's looking good there's a bit of fresh feed around we had a bit of rain a couple of weeks ago we only finished shearing last week. Sheep are looking really great off the board and now they're just going ahead in leaps and bounds. So, And we still have we've got about 200 cows, which, again, is probably about half of what we would traditionally run. And there's plenty of feed in the flood. So we had some pretty big floods here in March. So that's grown a lot of feed in the channels. So they're all pretty happy for the time being too. And can you explain more for people that don't know what an exclusion fence is? And has it been a game changer for you? Yeah, it really has. So an exclusion fence um, is is just a really, it's a tall netting fence that we built to help control wild dogs coming onto mobile um, or dingoes. So um, it means that you've got a small area that you can control um, those predatory 
pests. Um, traditionally, there's been other methods of control, like 1080 baiting and trapping used in our area, but it wasn't as effective as it used to be. Um, and people were seeing pretty significant losses to their lambs and also on their adult sheep. So we built an exclusion fence, um, started building it at the end of 2017. Um, so to go around the boundary of Mobile, it's about 120 kilometres. And we yeah, but basically just built a big fence the whole way around. And then we were able to yeah control the dingoes that we had inside the fence. So I think we've got about six or seven now. We don't think we have any at the moment. Piece of infrastructure that um, costs you know, it's a pretty significant investment for our business, but it means that we now know that we, everything we do on the inside will be able to maximise production. How common are they in that part of the world? Becoming really common. So I think they first were being built in Barky, like or up in near Barkhorton in central Queensland, central west Queensland, like 10 years ago. So, um, and now, I mean, in our area there, I don't know off the top of my head how much country would be, um, fenced in by these fences but it would be millions of acres um, so we built ours with our neighbour so both of us uh, worked together to build one around both our properties and then we were able to fence ourselves off with an additional 25k of fencing so we just have a small area to manage but there's yeah there's a lot of country out here that's being fenced off and yeah further south down to Kanamala, yeah all around this area it's becoming very common. So Meg, one of the main reasons that we wanted to speak with you was about, yes, what you've done with, with mobile and how you've really diversified your revenue streams. And because I think that this is an increasing option for farmers everywhere and also as women sort of make their way back to farm, back to farms, it, it is a um, something that is enticing. What do you generally think about developing B&Bs and experiences on farm um, as a as a pursuit for anybody? I think it's a fabulous um, way to, yeah, diversify your income stream and perhaps if, like, if you've just moved to a new area and you want to be able to have your own project or your own business and you're, you've got, I guess, like the facilities or the access to the country, then it's a really great, it's a really great option. Um, for us, it was pretty easy to get started. Like all we did was um, like build a website, basically. We didn't need to invest much in anything at the very start. So it wasn't a hugely expensive risk, I suppose, to take. Um, we have a really great um, tourism officer in Quilby who was able to help us, I guess, get an idea about um, how many people were coming through and what sort of things they would like to be doing. But I think um, uh, lots of people really love to experience something that's real and they love to get off the beaten track. We're finding that, um, you know, we're getting a lot of inquiries and um, you can fit it in around your life as much as you need to. You just have to be probably a little bit more organised and get your calendar sorted out. But, you know, you can do as much or, a little, or as little as you like. And whether that's just having people camping down on the creek only for the weekends or um, if you've converted your, like, gorgeous old sh um, shed quarters or something like that, like, there's a wide range of things that you can offer people and um, we're finding that people really responsive to that. They love, yeah, they love getting out of town and being somewhere that's, yeah, unique and 
and also where there's um, they can get an experience with you. And maybe that not that might not be for everyone, but if you people just love learning, we found people just love learning about mobile, and um, and so that was an easy way for us to go because we were able to offer people a unique experience, and we were happy to. I mean, we love to chat to them about it. So um, yeah, there's heaps of opportunity, I think. And what about the offline aspect? Do people prefer to be offline or do they want some level of connectivity? Well, we um, people like to be able to check in, I guess, with their families. But two, we've got a four-night stay. Two nights of that is totally off the grid because you're down at the camp at Bannermans and there's no electricity. There's definitely no phone service. Yeah, you find that people sort of do pick up their phone a lot and then they realise there's nothing there for them to see so people then just enjoy sitting around the fire and having conversations so I think that part of it is um I think it takes people a a couple of days to get into it but I think that when they yeah when they realize that they just can look around and enjoy the environment and there's nothing that they need to worry about on their phones it's a it's definitely a positive and so how would you like to see things grow in the future? Perhaps what, what are your visions for and hopes for the next five years? Well, we, I guess we would love to just to be able to continue to, um, I guess we're always trying to diversify our experiences and keep improving them. I think what we're doing at the moment, it's very popular. It's working well for us, um, maybe down the track. Um, so we've got this beautiful camp at Bannermans, um, which has a hot shower and a flushing loo. But other than that, there's um, no um, electricity and no phone service. So maybe we could offer that up to um, people doing a, like a self-catering camping trip if we were wanting to take a step back from the business as our sort of situation might change in the future. But we, um, you know, for as far as I can see, because you are able to just sort of turn the business on for the winter months and then have the summer months um, off it's really working well for us at the moment so hopefully we can just continue to offer a really wonderful experience and keep welcoming people through our doors so fascinating it's been wonderful to chat with you meg and um i can't wait to see what happens in mobile in the future oh thanks sky we'd love to have you if you're ever up this way and thanks very much for invited me on it's really um surreal I listen to all your podcasts (laughs) to be talking to you um, after hearing your voice so often oh thanks Meg do you want to go and start your own luxury outback homestay experience now I certainly do I think there's so much opportunity for this on any given farm it just takes a bit of clever thinking Yes, a bit of investment, some elbow grease and some motivation. And I hope this interview has provided that for you. Thank you for continually tuning in to Life on the Land and for supporting all we do at Grazy Her. Don't miss out on the spring edition of the magazine by subscribing online now at grazyher.com.au. A subscription means you'll never miss out on a copy of the magazine. So jump on the opportunity while you can grazyherm.com.au We'll be back with you next week with another Life on the Land story. Mm-hmm.